0: want to get into possible podcasting but don't know how do you want to make money from your podcast do you want your podcast to be broadcast on various platforms you have one single answer to all the questions anchor anchor helps you to create and edit your podcast it Shares your podcast across various other podcasting platforms like Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcasts. All you need to do is anchor, scan on, record your podcast, and anchor does the rest. Anchor, the one stop podcasting platform for you. Morning. Welcome to another episode of History Under Your Feet. Today we take a look at what was been called as a forgotten mutiny. The Royal Naval Ratings Mutiny, an event which unlike the 1857 revolt of the Quit India Movement does not really strike much resonance except among historians or leftists, since they are the only ones to have backed this. In March 1976, P. V. Chakrapati, former Chief Justice of Kolkata, wrote a letter where he described the correspondence between him and the British Prime Minister Clement Attlee. During his visit, Attlee met Chakrapati, who was then the acting governor of West Bengal, and was asked: With India, movement of Gandhi practically died out, and there was nothing in the Indian situation at that time which made it necessary for the British to leave India in a hurry, why then did they do so? Atli gave out several reasons. One was Netaji Subhashjandr Poe's Indian National Army and the other was the Royal Indian Nevan Mutiny. And when chakrabarti asked him about the impact of Gandhi's 1942 Quit India Movement, Atli rightly remarked with a very dry smile, minimal. minimal. The, like the 1857 Mutiny, the 1946 Royal Nehwan Mutiny had a rather mundane beginning. It was not an overnight event, however. The resentment was building up amongst the naval ratings and other Indian members of the army. The INA was the most serious of all that really shook the faith of the British. Not that well known as something called the Royal Air Force Mutiny that also took place in 1946 over the working conditions and demobilization of British troops after the end of the war. The beginning of the naval Rating Mutiny were an event that occurred on January 16, 1946 when a contingent of naval Ratings arrived at the Castle barracks in Mint Road of Mumbai's foot area. The contingent was from the training ship HMI Sapper that was at Thane and it was around evening 4pm. On being informed of the arrival of the contingent, the Kali cooked 20 loaves of bread casually added some water to the mutton curry as well as the dal that was from the previous day and served it. The food was so tasteless and substantive that only 17 of the ratings took it, the rest of them went ashore. Now this was not a one-off incident. Such neglect was quite common and what was even worse, repeated complaints to senior officers of the working conditions did not elicit any response. As the complaints became callous, the ratings were more frustrated, both with the conditions as well as the indifference of the higher-ups. Adding fear to the fire was the trial of the INA leaders, Nejaji Subhash Chandra Bose, fight for the freedom, and the exploits of INA during the seas of Impal began to be fed to the ratings. It gave them a sort of inspiration and hope that the mighty British Empire was not that invincible. On February 18, 1946, naval rating MS Khan led a revolt on HMS Talwar and a strike committee was formed. In Karachi, ratings began the revolt on HMS Hindustan, anchored on the Manora Island. Amas Khan and another naval reading Madan Singh, had by now taken control of the mutiny and it began to spread. By February 19, ratings from the castle and Fort Barracks had joined the revolt. Ratings left their posts and began to go around in Bombay on trucks carrying pictures of Netachi Chandra Bose, who by now had become their inspiration. And soon it spread to Kochi, Wasa, Kolkata, officers who opposed the strike were thrown off ships and the mutineers used radio sets to communicate among themselves. HMS Tanwar became the epicenter for the mutiny as the strikers used the radio sets to send messages to and from between themselves. It was a perfectly coordinated revolt that was now striking back. And soon other workers in the Navy too joined, on the sloops, the minesweepers and the offshore establishments in Mumbai along Honbai Road near CSD. North the Tadabai Naroji Road. The white ensign of the British was lowered from all the ships, and the British officers were singled out for attack by the mutineers using hockey sticks, crowbars, and whatever else they could lay their hands on. Flora Fountain soon reverberated with cries of Jai Hind and slogans of liberation. British officers and their war officers' wives were supposed to shout by Jai Hind by the protesters. The Taj Mahal Hotel, Yach Club, all, all crewmen trained on them throughout the day. The Royal Indian Air Force joined in solidarity with the striking forces and 1,000 men from Andheri Marine Drive Camps in. The Gurkhas and Karachi, one of the sword arms of the British arm, refused to fire on the mutineers. The mutiny now began to spread like wild, wildfire. Kolkata, Baisak, Chennai, Karachi, reverberated with slogans of Strike for Bombay, released 11,000 INA prisoners and Jai Hind. The was now flying on all the ships, and by February 20th, British destroyers positioned themselves near the Gateway of India. The British government, now headed by Clement Attlee, was alarmed. Orders were given to the Royal Navy to put down the revolt. Admiral George Godfrey, the flag officer in command of the Royal Indian Navy, gave an ultimatum to the mutineers to submit Operation. On the other side, a wave of patriotic fervour surged ahead in support of the mutineers. The mutineers had taken control of all the ships and were prepared for a last stand from the clerks to the cleaning hands. The cooks and wireless operator, every single Indian rating, was ready for the battle. On day third, the Royal Air Force flew a squadron of bombers near Mumbai Harbour. While Admiral Other Aud- Aud- Rolyam issued an ultimatum asking the mutineers to surrender unconditionally. In the meantime, the second battalion of the Black Watch silently managed to secure the island of Manora near Karachi. Soon, the decision was made to engage the the in a straight confrontation, which was now under the control of the mutineers. The ultimatum was given by the Royal Artillery on Menorah Islands to either surrender or be prepared for war. At 10.33 am, the guns began to fire on HMS Hindustan and the naval ratings returned the fire. However, they could not hold on for long but at 10.51 they surrendered and HMS Hindustan was taken over by the British. Soon HMS Bahadur in Himalaya was subdued and taken over by the British and the revolt at Karachi was put down. With increasing bombardment, and not much hope in winning a long drawn war, the militiamen began to surrender, and on day four negotiations took place. <coughs> most of the strikers' demands were conceded in principle. Immediate steps were taken to improve the quality of the food and living conditions. Assurance was given. The release of INA prisoners would be considered favorably. Seven RAN sailors and one officer was killed, while around 34 were injured, and 476 were discharged from duty. Sadly, the mutineers could not support at all from the Indian National Congress as usual. In fact, they were being condemned for their actions. Mahatma Gandhi issued a statement condemning the mutineers for revolting without any guidance from a political party. One of the lone voices in the Congress who supported the mutineers was Aruna Asaf Ali, who said she would rather unite Hindus and Muslims on the barricades. The Muslim League too denounced the mutineers arguing that unrest on the streets. (coughs) was not the best way to deal with grievances and it would be through constitutional methods only. One reason could be that spontaneous uprisings like these threatened the centralized political authority of both Congress and Muslim leagues and affected the dealings with the British government. And one more reason was that neither Congress or Muslim league was genuinely a mass-based party. They still remained preserved with the upper, ca- upper class, upper caste alike and these kind of mass upsurges left them very uncomfortable. The only political party that supported the mutineers was the Communist Party of India. All others just left them in the lurch. Both Sardar Patel and Mohammed Ali Jinnah were united in their condemnation of the mutineers' action, and Arunah Asaf Ali was a lone voice from Congress in support of them. The mutineers faced court martial and imprisonment to surrender, and what was seen after independence, they received no support from either the governments of India or Pakistan. The Royal Naval Raidings mutiny lasted only for four days and was put on swiftly. However, the impact went much beyond. The British were now fully convinced that they could no longer trust the armed forces to maintain their control over India. So far, the British managed to hold on to India through the armed forces but when they began to the revolt, they knew their time was up. First, the Iron Air Revolts and the National Naval Ratings mutiny. added the revolts in the Air Force too and plus the fact that Britain was economically broke after World War II. All influenced addition decision to quit India much more than the 1942 movement. On the anniversary of this very historic uprising, take time to pay a silent tribute to the heroes to behind this uprising that was one of the major factors in the British decision to quit India, Jai